Amen. Children, you're going to go ahead and be dismissed for Sunday school. We're going to, we've got uh, Pastor Holman here, and uh, we're excited as, uh, as he's our guest preacher today. And I'm going to ask him to come and just give a quick little testimony on your ministry and what the Lord's doing there in St. Thomas. Good morning. Take your Bibles to Titus uh, chapter 2, please. Titus chapter 2. My name is Mike Holland. I am from St. Thomas. Some of you know me and some of you don't. That's okay. Uh, some of you I know, some of you I don't. That's just the way it works. And uh, I have been assistant pastor in St. Thomas for about 28 years now. I grew up in the States and moved to Canada. I found myself a good Canadian girl, and, and I love this country, and I love uh, the ministry God's given me. I was youth pastor for 25 years in St. Thomas, worked with teenagers, and so I see uh, some familiar faces that, uh, of you that used to be teenagers when we used to do youth activities along the years, and uh, our paths have crossed many times. Our churches have been intertwined over the years. Uh, uh, Bible Baptists and Bethel Baptists have been connected quite a bit. Uh, and so about three years ago, then I transitioned out of being a youth pastor. Now I work with young adults. I continue to work with the financial ministry of our church, the kind of an administrative pastor at our church, and also uh, work with our Bearing Precious Seed ministry, which is our Bible distribution ministry, where we try to put a Bible, a portion of the Bible in every home in Canada. And your church has a part in that. And just to let you know that uh, we had just mailed out to the whole province of Manitoba. Every mailbox in Manitoba should get a portion of the Bible uh, in their home this month. And so that is part of the giving that you do through your missions to us and other churches like yours uh, sent that out. And so we want you now, the physical work has been done, but the spiritual work has just begun. And so the battle begins now as the Bibles go into homes. Uh, we want you to pray for that. Alongside that, we're doing a social media campaign where we put a Facebook or Instagram advertisement pointing people to a website that has a, a gospel uh, presentation on the website. So we're just trying to get the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, out to every home, every person in Manitoba. So you pray about that, that that is going on right now as we speak. And so we appreciate uh, your connection with that ministry and our church. All right. We're going to be in Titus chapter 2. I'm sure you've experienced this before. Uh, sometimes when I travel, I'll go to uh, rent a car, and I'll get there, and they'll say, sir, we don't have the car that you rented, but we're going to give you a free upgrade, right? And you get from a car to an SUV. Don't you like those words, free upgrade? And I, I like that. Or I go to a hotel, and they say, sir, your room that you booked is not available, but we're going to give you a free upgrade. We'll give you an ocean view or a view of the falls or something a little nicer. We'll give you a free upgrade. Or maybe this has happened to you never happened to me, but maybe it happened to you. We went on an airplane, and they said, hey, we, uh, we don't have your seat available. We have to upgrade you to first class. Don't you like those words? We all love a free upgrade. And last week, you had Dr. Stone from our church, Al Stone, a homegrown boy, uh, preached here. And I want you to know that I'm here today as your free upgrade, all right? So we are upping our game this week. And if you know Al Stone, please tell him I said that and let him know that uh, you thought as well that I was an upgrade from last week. I would really appreciate that. Uh, Pastor Stone and I go back a long way. Uh, in fact, we go back many, many years uh, back uh, when I was in high school. He moved to Cleveland. 
Cleveland to teach at the Krishna School and uh, to marry his wife, Ruthie, down there in, in, in the States. And he was my teacher in high school. Uh, once I finished high school, went to college, then we got together and I was his youth pastor for 25 years. And so we've worked together. And he was here last week. I'm here this week, both from Bible Baptist Church. And just want to give you the word of God this morning. I hope it'll be a challenge to you and a help to you. We're going to talk about life-changing grace. Life-changing grace here in Titus chapter 2. Um, what experience for you has been life-changing? Can you think of a time, a moment, an event that changed the course of your life? Life-changing. A few years ago, we had a friend of ours come preach for us. He's from the States. He's from Ohio. And uh, he came up, and like most Baptist preachers, he loves to eat. And so after the service, we were going to go out to get a bite to eat. And we said, hey, where do you want to go? And he said this. I've heard all about something in Canada, but I've never experienced it myself. I want to try poutine. All right. So I said, okay, great. We'll take you out to get some poutine. So we took him out and he took his first couple bites and we said, well, what do you think? He said, brother, this is life changing. Now, I don't know how you feel about poutine and life changing may be a bit of extreme uh, for that, but you understand what he's saying. It was life changing. When I think of life changing for me, I think uh, about 26 years ago, we had a church activity. We had a roller skating activity back when roller skating was something. And we had a roller skating activity. And I was a single youth pastor. And I had planned the activity. We had a bunch of other people come. And, and in the, that night, in the door, walked uh, as a visitor a girl from Nova Scotia. And I saw her. And that night was life-changing for me and for her. I mean, the magic began that night. Uh, I mean, who can resist a guy on roller skates, right? And so there I was skating around, doing all my best tricks to impress this girl. And from that night on, things uh, progressed, and I married her, and now we've been married for 25 years. And it, that event, that moment was life-changing. I think back to uh, a church in Cleveland, Ohio, when I was an 11-year-old boy. I sat in a pew like this, and a man got up behind the pulpit and preached about being on God's side. And I asked Jesus Christ to save me. Life-changing. I mean, that changed the course of my life. And I think back to a hotel room in Greenville, Ohio, when I was on a little missions trip with my church. And that night, in a, in a prayer meeting, in the early afternoon, I guess it was, I prayed and God struck my heart about ministry. And I, at a, at a, on my knees by a, a hotel room bed, I said, Lord, if you want me to be a preacher, I'll be a preacher. If you want me, whatever you want me to do, I surrender my life to you tonight. I look back to that moment as life-changing, right? We're talking about the life-changing grace of God. And as I look at this passage, I hope you'll see three ways that God's grace can change your life today. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. We'll look right at the passage and it will be a help to you. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad to be together. Thank you so much for the music. It stirred our hearts, prepared us now for what you want to do uh, through your word. And we know it's all about you today. And Father, I pray you help me not to say anything that would be disrespectful or be hurtful, only be helpful for those listening and watching online. I pray that you would uh, uh, draw them into the message Point them to your word, and I pray that all these things, you would be honored and glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Titus chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 11. Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. Life-changing grace. For the grace 
of God that a bring of salvation hath appeared to all men. There's the grace of God, right? First verse. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise you. That last verse is important to just jump off there. This is Paul telling Timothy, I want you to speak these things and I want you to do it to exhort people. All right, so what I'm going to do today is try my best to explain the Bible so it exhorts you. That word exhort means to encourage you, to, to lift you up, to encourage you. It also says to rebuke people with these words. It means to correct us, to push us in the right direction. And so my prayer is that you would be exhorted and rebuked by the words of God this morning. And it says to do this in all authority. I have zero authority in your life. I have zero, I'm not a pastor of this church. I am not, uh, for many of you, we don't, we don't have a personal connection. The only authority I have this morning is the authority of God's word. And that's all I need. And so today I speak uh, with authority based upon this is what God said uh, to deliver. And so I hope and pray that you'll receive it as that way. This is a message of encouragement and challenge brought with authority of God's word. All right. So Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says that the grace of God that bringeth salvation. The first type of grace that we have available to us is saving grace. Saving grace. Um, let me talk about grace. Let me kind of define that for you. Uh, grace is kind of hard to define. Uh, is God's favor upon us? God's kindness toward us? His goodness is connected with his mercy and his love and his compassion and his long suffering. Is everything that God wants to give out and pour to you uh, is God's grace, God's favor and kindness upon us. And it says here in the verse that the grace of God, this kindness, the goodness, the most, the, uh, we, the song, the ensemble saying about his name is wonderful. Jesus Christ is wonderful. God is wonderful. That's his grace. All the good things about God. The grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. It's available to everybody. It's available. It's a gift. In fact, the Bible word for grace and the Bible word for gift in the Greek language are connected. God's grace is his gift and he extends to every man, uh, every woman, every child all across this world from, at all times, the, his goodness and his graciousness and his kindness and his favor, it is there as a gift of God to you to receive. And so that is the grace of God that brings salvation is appeared to all men. Verse 13 introduces us at the very end to our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, the greatest gift of all time. I, I like the song that the, the ladies sang today. When heaven kissed earth. That moment in time where God became flesh. Jesus Christ was born. And we celebrate. The world stops to celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas time. But that Christ, that, that, that little baby, lived a life a selfless life, and died 
a selfless sacrifice. And then he rose again the third day. And that is the, the gift of God that brings salvation is Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us, the greatest gift of all. Why did he do that? Well, it tells us there in that verse, to redeem us. To redeem us from all iniquity, all, all of our lawlessness, all of our disobedience. He wants to buy us back. It's sin that separates God and man, and Jesus Christ takes care of that problem because he, as God and man, died for our sins. And so our sins are dealt with, and he wants to buy us back from our sin. The word redeem means to buy back. It brings to mind a, a show I watch sometimes about a pawn shop. And a pawn shop is where you bring an item in and you come back later and you can buy it back. And that's what a God created man. Man through sin disobeyed God. Relationship was broken. But through Jesus Christ, he bought man back. And he extends his grace to you today, whether you're watching or with us here live. It doesn't matter. The grace of God, the gift of God is salvation that is available to all men. And I say today, today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And I extend to you as a preacher of God's word and a minister of his word that God's grace is available to you today for salvation. He wants to redeem you and buy you back. But it goes on to say this. In verse 14, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us or buy us back from all iniquity and purify. He wants to redeem and purify. He wants to buy you back and then he wants to purify. The word purify means to restore. My dad was uh, in the habit of buying old cars and trying to restore them and make them better. Uh, and when I was a kid, we had all kinds of junk cars in our backyard, and we would take them and try to fix them up and resell them. That was kind of his hobby. And even on the pawn shop, sometimes they'll buy something that is in bad shape, but they'll put a little extra time and money into it and make it something very valuable. Well, that's what God wants to do with us. When he buys us back, he's not done with us. He's, he's then purifying us and, and making us, putting more time and effort and making us more valuable and usable. I think back to that little boy in Cleveland, Ohio, who trusted Christ as a Savior as an 11-year-old boy or a 17-year-old boy that gave his life to Christ to, to preach. And I think of what God has worked in my life and done in my life. And any value I have to, to God now is not anything of me, but what he's put into me. He's trying to purify me and make me usable to him. And that goes on. I like how the Bible words this. Purify unto himself a peculiar people. That word peculiar is kind of peculiar, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of a strange word. No matter how you say it, it's not a compliment. Well, she, she's kind of peculiar. You can say it however you want, but it doesn't really sound as a compliment. But here, the Bible uses it as a compliment. He says, I'm going to redeem for myself a peculiar people. So what does that mean? Well, the Bible word peculiar means beyond usual. It's not the usual. It's beyond usual. And God wants to pour into us his grace and make us beyond usual. You know, it has, really has the idea of this, uh, something that's special because of who owns it. I'm not special. I'm just one of the seven billion people on earth right now. <laughs> but in God's sight, I am special. There's an old song that says that he loves you like you're his only child special. 
Again, going back to that show, The Pawn Shop, I saw they bring a, a golf club in one time. They laid this golf club on the counter, and it didn't look like any, it was a putter. It wasn't anything special. They brought it to the pawn shop. I said, well, you know, everybody's wondering why they bring the, the golf club in. And they said, well, this golf club is special because it was owned by Bill Clinton. Now, I don't know where you stand. I'm, I'm not a big Bill Clinton fan, but he was the president of the United States. And because that putter was owned by Bill Clinton, the value went way up. And that's, what, that's the idea of being a peculiar person is that uh, in and of myself, I'm nothing. But, hey, I'm a child of God. I am owned and purchased by Jesus Christ, and I'm a child of God. And so the Bible says in, in John chapter 1 that as we receive Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And so I have a heavenly father today that loves me and cares for me, and that brings great value to me, and, and, and that's my identity. My identity today is a child of God. That's the grace of God in me. When I was in high school, I used to uh, play basketball. And uh, sometimes I played good, sometimes I played bad. It just happens. You have good games and bad games. Sometimes the fans were on your side, sometimes the fans were against you a little bit, right? But there's always a guy in the stands that was always on my side. It's my dad. He tried to make every basketball game that I had. And no matter how bad I played or how poorly I played, there's a, there a man in the stands that was on my side. and was That's my son out there. I'm, that's my boy. There he is. And that's what God is to us, our Heavenly Father. And, and, and we're not perfect and we mess up, but we have a Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us and he wants to pour his grace upon us and he'll never love you more and he'll never love you less and he loves you at this very moment. That's our God. And so this grace of God that comes out in salvation, that if you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior, you receive the grace of God. At that moment, you have a new father and you have a new future. <laughs> I know for sure when I die, I'm going to go to heaven to be with the Lord. Can I tell you just personally a little personal story that during this whole COVID shutdown that my mom passed away down in Ohio and I couldn't go in to see her? It was terrible. I, I didn't even go down. I didn't even go down. There was no real funeral. I didn't even go down to Ohio. I didn't. Because if I went down, I had to come back in quarantine for 14 days. And at that time, it was early on, I couldn't even get into the hospital to see her. So it was no use to go down to see her when I couldn't even go see her. It was terrible. But I know this. My mom was a child of God. My mother is in heaven today. I have a future, and I have a father in heaven, and my mother and my dad who's saved, and my brothers and my sisters, and my wife and my kids who are saved, they're all children of God, will be in heaven together. I have, a, I have a bright future, and I have a heavenly father. And that's all because of the grace of God. It's the saving grace of God. And I tell you what, that saving grace could change your life today. Today could be the day where you reach out and receive God's gift of salvation. <laughs> and today could be that life-changing event where you realize the grace of God. It's a saving grace. And according, though, as we move on in our text in verse 12, that uh, the grace of God is salvation, verse 11, but this grace of God in verse 12 teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It's not only a saving grace, but it's a sobering grace. A sobering grace. The grace of God is teaching you something. 
There's something, even let's say most of you here today say, well, I got saved five years ago. I got saved 10 years. I've been saved for 30 years. I don't care if you're saved, you're a child of God, praise the Lord. But that's not the end of God's grace. God's grace is still trying to teach you something. There's something you should learn. When you're in school and they want to see how much you've learned, they give you a test. Well, there's some tests here in this passage to see how well you're learning from grace. The tests are here. It's sobering. The word sober maybe have a different connotation in your mind. Usually when we think of someone who's sober, it means someone who's not drunk or not under the influence. They're sober. The Bible word sober just means that they can think clearly and see clearly. Uh, you have a sound mind. And so the saving grace of God, when you receive it, allows you to have a sober outlook, a clear view on life. Let me illustrate Let's say, for example, today that I had uh, over here uh, two men from the church. I had a 20-year-old, strong, uh, you know, good shape young man, and I had an 85-year-old man from the church who is, uh, you know, in the latter years of his life, maybe doesn't walk as well. And I had these two men, and, we're, and I decided we're going to have a race between these two men. And we're going to set up an obstacle course here. We're going to have all kinds of things. That they have to go up and over and around and all this kind of stuff. And we had it all set up. And we're going to race to the other side and see who wins. I think all of us would understand that given that scenario, the young man would win the race. But if we changed one thing, if we took those two men and I blindfolded the 20-year-old young man, and he couldn't see, and he, and he had to stumble his way through the obstacle course, and he had no idea what was there. We never let him see the obstacle course ahead of time. I just said, on your mark, get set, go. And, and the older man could walk his way through the course, and the young man had to stumble his way through the course. I think I would put my money on the older man. I say, what's that got to do with our life? Well, the truth of the matter is, as we live in the grace of God, it's sobering. It allows us to see things differently. It allows us to take the blindfold off and avoid the obstacles and the falls of life to get to the other side. See, if we'll live every day of our life allowing God's grace to affect us and allowing God's grace to be poured upon us and live in grace, it's sobering. It wakes us up. It gives us a new outlook on life. And when this whole world is going nuts and going crazy over things, you don't have to go nuts. You don't have to go crazy because you can have a sober outlook on life. Look at the Bible says that the grace of God is teaching us Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Here's the test. Are, there are things in these verses that you should abandon and things you should adopt. It says you should deny or abandon ungodliness and worldly lust. Get rid of those things out of your life and take on things that are sober, righteous, and godly. See, the grace of God teaches us to live a different life. A life that's pleasing to God because he's so good to us and he's so gracious to us. Uh, the next verse tells us we can look at life, or verse, sorry, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope. We can live life with hope. There are a lot of people that don't have hope today in this world, but you, if you understand the grace of God, there's hope for you. You may not like the way the world's going or decisions that the government makes or what's going on. You may not like it, but there is hope in Jesus Christ. Our hope is Jesus. And so here we have this blessed hope that we're going to be with him and that he'll come for us. And this gives us a different outlook on life. So we can look at life differently. 
See, grace is the great motivator for the Christian life. So we think about all of God's goodness and his kindness and his favor, all his promises and blessings, it should motivate you to abandon the old life and live a new life. See, it's not just about, you know, if I do, if I do wrong, God will punish me. No, it's not that. I want to do right because God's so good. His grace motivates me. See, grace is a way better motivator than guilt. Have you ever tried to guilt somebody into doing something? I do that to my wife sometimes just for fun. Just, you know, tell her all the good things I've done for her to try to get her to do something for me, you know, like, like, just for fun. But have you, ever been, have you ever felt like someone put a guilt trip on you to get something done? Well, God's not putting a guilt trip on you. He says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is there for you. So grace is way better than guilt. So we have here the saving grace of God and then the sobering grace of God that allows us to see life differently. But lastly, look at the verse in verse 14. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. It's a serving grace. A saving grace, a sobering grace, and now a serving grace. The word zealous means this, burning or passionate. What are you passionate about? Like, what do you get excited about? What, like, when, when you talk about what gets you going? Like, some people are passionate about different things. My wife is very passionate about yard sales. She used to love going yard sailing when we used to have them before COVID. And so she used to enjoy getting up on a Saturday morning and she's, in, she's passionate about the bargain, right? You know, getting the deal. And, and so we have things in our house that she would tell people, you know, that's, I only paid $10 for that. She's passionate about that. My grandmother was the same way. At Christmas time, she would actually buy our Christmas presents when they were on sale and she would leave the tag on them so that we knew how good a deal she got. She's like, look at the tag. That shirt should have cost me $25 and I got it for $5 and I got it on a senior's day so I got 30% off. Like, she had it all worked out and she wanted us to know she was so passionate about shopping that she would even, they would, in the stores in Cleveland, they would know her and they would call her when the, the markdowns went down again. Hey, Margie, come in. It's off 20% more. So they would know her and she was passionate. What are you passionate about? I'm passionate about sports. I, I like to talk about sports. I enjoyed playing sports. What are you passionate? What gets you excited? Well, here the Bible says that we, we should be zealous or passionate about good works. <laughs> the word zealous, back in the day when this was written, 2,000 years ago, uh, there was a political party in the Jewish, in, the, in Israel, in Jerusalem area. Uh, just like we have liberals and conservatives, they had a party called the Zealots. Zealots, zealous. And they were very passionate about the fact that they should have freedom from Rome and they're going to throw off Rome and, and have their own government. And they were known for their passion and their, and their desire for freedom. That was the word. They were burning. They were known for that. Listen, let me ask you this question. What are you known for? What are your how do your neighbors know you? How about at work? What are, the, what are you known for at work? What are you known for in your family? Are you known for your strong opinion and, and you know, not backing down? Are you known for you know, 
causing an argument? Are you known for, or are you known for just being a nice person? A kind person. Zealous of good works. That's what you should be known for. That person at work, they're always, there's kind. There's something different about them. That is the grace of God coming through you to others. So if you have a loving Heavenly Father who showers you with his love and his favor and his kindness and his grace, wouldn't it just make sense that that would flow through you to other people? That God's grace comes to you and you dispense God's grace everywhere you go? Just a little bit of God's grace at work and a little bit of God's grace in your neighborhood? And if you have a family gathering this year, a little bit of God's grace around the supper table? It's not about making sure your opinions know, making sure that you win the argument. It's about making sure God's grace is known and God's, God's, uh, God's favor is upon them. It's showing God's grace. Are you passionate for good works. It's a serving grace. So let me say this as we close. How has God's grace changed your life? That's the idea of the passage. It's the grace of God appeared to all men, brings salvation, but then it's supposed to teach us some things. It's ongoing. And I don't care if you've been saved a long time or a short time. And honestly, even if you're not saved today, God's grace is offered to you. The purpose of this message is not to lay on you a guilt trip. Y'all live this way or else. Do this, get out there and do something nice or else. It's not to lay a guilt trip on you. It's to lead you on a grace trip. See, the Christian life's not a guilt trip. It's a grace trip. You get to. <laughs> the analysis, they talk about handing out Christmas presents to kids. I hope that you want to be involved in that. Wouldn't that be fun? You get to go hand out Christmas presents to people. You get to play Santa Claus for, for a day. And you get to show a little bit of kindness and a little bit of love and a little bit of grace. We have a program that we used to do more often before COVID called Love Works. We used to hand out different things and do things in the community just to be kind. Love works. Show God's love. Show God's grace. It's God's amazing grace that appears to all men. It's life-changing. God's grace teaches us to abandon some things and to adopt a new lifestyle. It's sobering. It makes us peculiar, beyond usual, because we're zealous of good works. That's not normal to be passionate about serving other people, but you get to do that because of God's grace. So again, I ask you, has God's grace changed your life? Are you allowing the thought that, that God is so wonderful and so good and so kind to you to affect how you treat other people? Are you changing and transforming to be more like Jesus Christ every day? Are you zealous and passionate about good works because God has been so good to you? It's the grace of God that brings salvation that teaches us how to live in this present world. We can be different and we can make a difference because of God's grace. It's life-changing. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? I hope they'll just take a minute, whether you're watching online or you're listening here in the auditorium, to think about God's grace. How good has God been to you?
Well, I know our life, we all have our ups and downs, but think about what God has done in that he sent his son, he brings salvation, he gives hope and peace and joy. His favor is upon us. We're, we're his children. We can pray to him at any time. How has the grace of God changed your life? Have you received him as your savior? Have you made that decision? Let me ask you that this morning here in the auditorium, even online. Have you asked Jesus Christ to be your savior? If not, the Bible does say today is the day of salvation. And the Bible does tell us that the grace of God appears to all men, that's you. Would you today reach out and receive the gift of salvation? If you're in the auditorium, in a minute, we're going to give you a chance to talk to one of our workers about salvation. If you're watching online, we invite you to reach out to someone at the church to know more about how you can have Jesus Christ be your Savior, have a new home and a new father and all those things taken care of because of God's grace. If you're already saved, are you allowing God's grace? To, is, is grace teaching you anything? Is, is there any thought of how good God is to you and how that should affect your life and, and teach you that you should abandon those things that are ungodly and deny those things and, and live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world? Is that affecting how you live your life? Not by guilt, but by his grace transforming your life to the point where you are passionate and zealous for good works. How is God's grace changing your life today. I pray that this message and this passage would ring in your heart and that God's grace would make a difference in how you live your life this week. Father, as we close this, I pray you help us to make it personal, help us to understand what you want to do in our life. For those who are watching, I pray that they would make the decisions that they need to make. And Lord, if there's some who are listening that do not know you as their Savior, I pray that today they would trust you and call out to you, have their sins forgiven. In your precious name we pray. Let's keep our heads bowed and eyes closed as the piano begin to play. Would you right now in your seat make a decision? Let God's grace change your life. If you need help, you want to come to the altar and pray, you're welcome to do that. The altars are open. Would you go home today and think about the life-changing grace of God? And how his goodness and his kindness and his blessing and his favor should impact you tomorrow as you head off to work. As you go about your weekly and daily duties. How will you be different because of God's grace?